Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, the glorious Gryffindor host. And I'm Katie, the sassy Slytherin host. And let's just keep rolling right into our rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss, and its corresponding film scenes. Ron mocked Malfoy and failed at impressing his future wife, who was busy playing wingman. Harry showed a shocking amount of intelligence, until it's time to fight off a werewolf. Sirius had zero chill when it came to his potential new roommate, but wasn't allowed to dream for too long when he realized it was Remus's time of the month. Pettigrew scurried off when he realized he was late for his Chicago audition. And once again, the Dementors demented, but luckily a radioactive deer chased them off. During episode 59, Hell for a Spell, our Potter pondering was to ask for your thoughts on how in both the book and the movie, Lupin transformed as soon as the clouds parted and the light from the moon touched him. Carly said that she always thought it was a coincidence, but also, Remus 100% would have tracked his cycle, lol, and he would have known about the full moon. Max thinks werewolves have an instinctive need to be in the full moon before they transform, so the moonlight has to touch them, but they also get drawn to it so they can't stay away. I like that. Mm-hmm. As usual, Dave answers the question and then poses a bunch of his own, saying that if the light had to touch them, it seems the obvious easy answer would be to just put them in a room where the light can't touch them and they wouldn't transform. He likes Max's idea that they're drawn to it, but if you lock them in a stone room with enchantments, it's not like they have magical powers to undo the locks or enchantments. He thinks that they just transform at some point, like maybe when dusk officially turns to night. He also wonders if all werewolves turn at the same moment. Is it based on their time zones? Randomly throughout the night? Do they turn back at sunrise? They went into the shack late in the day, so depending on how long it took to have the book and the movie scenes would determine what time they came out. He says, bottom line, yeah, doing it when the clouds part is center shit. Quincy thinks the clouds parting was more for dramatic effect. Or maybe it was to symbolize that the full moon was actually out. Like, does the moon have to be in a certain position before the transformation begins? Because it would seem that way. That's what I thought. Mike also said that he always figured it was just his time of the month, but it does seem connected to the full moon, so maybe it is that? But the underground thing does seem like an obvious loophole. Jackson thinks it's most likely just for effect. He thinks what happened was the moon hadn't actually come out until that point. Brittany also thinks it was just for effect. If it was the case for Moonlight having to hit him, he would just stay in a dungeon or a windowless room or something during the entirety of the full moon, she would think. She says at least that's what she would do, and she thinks it would make the stigma a little less intense on werewolves if this was the case. Robert thinks having the concept that it is a full moon gives him time to prepare, but it's the effect of the moonlight hitting him, or even appearing as full in the sky, invokes the magic of the curse that forces him to transform. Maybe. Sarah says that she's actually wondered about that. Why wouldn't a werewolf change as soon as the full moon rose into the sky? You could argue that really Lupin should have changed earlier in the night. If he had to be touched by moonlight to change, then he would just be able to avoid transforming each night by hiding indoors. 
which seems to be the general consensus that that's a loophole. I mean, that's what I would have thought. Yeah. Really. But we got some really great responses for this one. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody. Best keepers ever. For real. Thanks, guys. Our trivia question last week was, what charm does Snape think Black bewitched Harry, Ron, and Hermione with? When Snape explains to the minister that it was Potter, Weasley, and Granger who gave him that nasty cut he's got, he tells him that Black had bewitched them, a confundus charm, to judge by their behavior. Congratulations goes to Carly Ferguson, who clearly completely guessed, first saying imperious, then confundus, and wondering if she won. Which she did. Because Confundus was right, and she got it posted before anyone else. Nice job, Carly. Nicely done. Mm -hmm. It also looked like a lot of people were busy when the episode first dropped, or at least they made that excuse. <laughs> but I'm starting to consider changing the time the episode publishes again. We'll see. Maybe to just like eight or nine. Yeah, we just want as many people as possible to be able to participate. Yep, it adds to the mystery. Mm -hmm. Who's gonna win this week? We shall see. For now... Let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret, Part 1. This chapter opens with Harry in the hospital wing. He's slowly regaining consciousness and is overhearing a conversation between Snape and the Minister of Magic. The minister seems to be shocked by the tale of events Snape has provided him with and expresses his gratitude for Snape's being there by mentioning an Order of Merlin award. The minister notices that Snape has a bad cut and assumes that Sirius had inflicted the injury, but Snape tells him that it was Ron, Harry, and Hermione, clearly under a confundus charm cast by Black. Further evidence of the charm is their belief that Black could be innocent, and Snape goes on to say that the three probably thought they could catch Black on their own after all they've gotten away with in the past. The minister agrees that they have a blind spot when it comes to Harry, and Snape says that he just tries to treat Harry as any other student, and that would include, at the very least, suspension for getting himself and his friends into danger and breaking so many rules and precautions that were there for his safety. Snape begins listing transgressions, but the minister only concedes that Harry has been foolish. When asked if he knew what made the Dementors retreat, Snape said he didn't know, just that they were going back to the entrances when he arrived. He had found Harry, Hermione, Ron, and Black all unconscious, and after Black had been bound and gagged, brought them back to the castle. By now, Harry is waking more fully and opens his eyes to see Madame Pomfrey with Ron and Hermione in a bed to his right. Hermione puts her finger to her lips to keep Harry from saying anything and points to the open door where Snape and Fudge are talking. Madame Pomfrey makes her way over to Harry with a large block of chocolate, and when Harry moves to get out of bed to see Dumbledore, she tells him that it was all right, Black has been caught and would be receiving the Dementor's kiss any moment. Harry shouts in disbelief, and he and Hermione jump out of bed, alerting Fudge and Snape, who enter the room. Fudge tells Harry that he should be in bed, and Harry responds by telling the minister that Black is innocent. Pettigrew had faked his death, and they needed to stop the kiss. Fudge tells Harry he's confused after his ordeal, and they have everything under control. Harry loses his temper, shouting that they have the wrong man, and Hermione joins in, trying to explain that Pettigrew was an animagus hiding as Ron's rat. Snape uses their pleas as evidence of the confundus charm, and while Harry protests this accusation, Madame Pomfrey insists they are not to be distressed. Harry tries to tell them that they need to listen to what happened, but Madame Pomfrey quiets him by shoving chocolate into his mouth and pushing him back onto the bed. 
While she tries to get Snape and Fudge to leave, Dumbledore enters the hospital wing. Harry again begins to try and explain what happened, and when Madame Pomfrey tries to get Dumbledore to leave, he tells her that he'd just been speaking to Sirius Black and must speak with Harry and Hermione. Snape asks if Sirius had told him the same story they were telling about a rat and Pettigrew being alive, and when Dumbledore confirms that, Snape angrily asks if it meant nothing that he had not seen Pettigrew in either the Shrieking Shack or when they were on the grounds. Hermione interjects that Snape had been knocked out, and Snape shouts at her to be quiet. Fudge says they must make allowances because she's disturbed, and Dumbledore again insists that he must speak with Harry and Hermione. Madame Pomfrey goes into her office, thoroughly agitated, and Fudge says the Dementors have probably arrived and that he will see Dumbledore upstairs. He leaves and holds the door for an unmoving Snape, who is staring at Dumbledore. Snape says that Dumbledore can't believe Black's story, and asks if he's forgotten that Black had tried to kill him. Dumbledore says his memory is as good as ever, and that he must speak with Harry and Hermione alone. When Snape finally leaves, the two burst into the story, talking over each other until Dumbledore raises his hand to quiet them. He proceeds to tell them the myriad of reasons why it's too late for Sirius, including his own evidence given against Black. When Harry tries to say that Lupin could tell him the truth, Dumbledore cuts him off saying that werewolves are rarely trusted and that Lupin and Black are old friends, so his word would mean very little. Harry tries to interrupt, and Dumbledore again says that it's too late and Snape's story is much easier to believe. Hermione says that Snape hates Sirius for the prank he played, and Dumbledore explains that Sirius has not acted like an innocent man, and that without Pettigrew, alive or dead, they have no evidence that he is. Hermione says that Dumbledore believes them, and he agrees, but tells them that he doesn't have the power to change the way things are. At these words, Harry gets the feeling that the ground is slipping away and their last hope is gone, but then Dumbledore looks at Hermione and tells her what they need is more time. After a moment, she understands, and Dumbledore proceeds to tell the two that Sirius is locked in Professor Flitwick's office in the West Tower, and that if they succeed, more than one innocent life can be spared. He says that they must not be seen, tells Hermione that she knows the law and what is at stake, and reiterates that they must not be seen. As Dumbledore leaves, he turns to tell them he is locking them in and tells Hermione that three turns should do it, and wishes them luck. Harry is very confused and asks Hermione what Dumbledore is talking about and what they are supposed to do. Hermione pulls out an hourglass on a long gold chain from her robes, tells Harry to come over, and once he's close, she throws the chain around his neck as well, before turning the hourglass three times. Harry feels the sensation of flying very quickly backwards, colors rushing past him, and is unable to yell. After a moment, he feels solid ground beneath him, and sees that they're in the entrance hall. Hermione pulls him to a broom closet across the hall, and even more confused, Harry asks what happened. She tells him that they've gone back in time three hours and tries to keep him quiet while she listens to what's happening in the hall. After a moment, she recognizes the sound of their footsteps, leaving to go to Hagrid's, and sits down after she says that they've gone down the front steps. Harry asks where she got the hourglass thing, and she tells him that Professor McGonagall gave it to her at the beginning of the year. McGonagall had told the Ministry of Magic that she was a model student and would only use it for her studies, and that was how she'd been managing to take several lessons at once. She then tells him that she doesn't know what Dumbledore wants them to do and doesn't know how three hours will help Sirius. 
Harry tries to think of what happened three hours ago while trying to wrap his mind around traveling back in time. When he realizes that Dumbledore said they could save more than one innocent life and that they are supposed to save Buckbeak. Hermione still isn't sure how that helps Sirius, and Harry tells her that Sirius is locked in the West Tower, so they will have to fly Buckbeak up to Flitwick's office to rescue Sirius and that he and Buckbeak will escape together. Hermione looks terrified and says it will be a miracle if they can do that without being seen. Harry says that they have to try, and after listening at the door to make sure nobody was there, they race quickly down the steps, Hermione saying they should make their way to Hagrid's by the greenhouses to avoid being seen from Hagrid's house and then says they must nearly be there. Not completely understanding what she meant by that, Harry and Hermione take off running across the vegetable gardens to the greenhouses, and then again swiftly and carefully past the Whomping Willow and into the forest. The two make their way quietly along the edge of the forest until they see Hagrid's cabin. They hear a knock, and when Hagrid opens the door, they hear Harry's voice telling Hagrid it's them under the invisibility cloak. They watch as Hagrid tells them they should not have come as he lets them in. Harry insists this is the weirdest thing they've ever done, and Hermione says they need to get closer to Buckbeak. When Harry asks if they should free him now, Hermione says that the people from the Ministry will have to see Buckbeak, or they will think Hagrid set him free. Harry says this will give them about a minute, and at that moment they hear Hagrid break the milk jug, and Hermione says she's about to find Scabbers. When they hear her shriek, Harry suggests they run in and grab Pettigrew right then. Hermione, terrified, tells him no, that they are breaking one of the most important wizarding laws by changing time, and that they can't be seen. Harry says they would only be seen by Hagrid and themselves, and when Hermione asks Harry what he would think if they went bursting in there, he admits he would think he'd gone mad or there was dark magic. She explains that terrible things happen when you meddle with time. In the movie, Harry wakes up in the hospital wing and alarms Hermione by declaring that he saw his dad. He explains to her that it was his dad who sent the Dementors away. He saw him across the lake. Hermione responds by telling him that the Dementors have captured Sirius, and any minute they will be performing the kiss. Harry scrambles out of bed, worried that they are going to kill him, and Hermione tells him that it's much worse, that they are going to suck out his soul. At this point, Professor Dumbledore enters the hospital wing. Harry and Hermione approach him as Hermione begs the headmaster to stop them, because they've got the wrong man. Harry backs her up, saying that it's true, and Ron, who is lying in his own hospital bed with his leg propped up, also joins in, explaining that it was Scabbers who did it. Dumbledore repeats, Scabbers? Back to him. And Ron tells him that it's his rat, and rambles a bit about how he was his brother Percy's rat, and he isn't really a rat. And Hermione cuts him off, saying that they know the truth, and asks Dumbledore to believe them. He says that he does believe them, but the words of 13-year-old wizards will convince few others. Dumbledore walks over to Ron's bedside and continues on with, A child's voice, however honest and true, is meaningless to those who have forgotten how to listen, as he pats Ron on his injured leg. As Ron grimaces in pain, a clock begins to chime. Dumbledore gets a faraway look in his eye and starts talking about time being a mysterious thing. He walks past Harry and Hermione towards the door. With his back to them, he carries on, calling time powerful and dangerous when meddled with. He tells them that Sirius Black is in the topmost cell of the Dark Tower, and then turns to face them as he addresses Hermione, reminding her that she knows the laws. They must not be seen, and would do well to return before the last chime. He also tells her that if they succeed, more than one innocent life will be spared, and that three turns should do it. He winks at her and walks out of the hospital wing, closing the doors behind him, but pausing to say, 
When in doubt, I find retracing my steps to be a wise place to begin. He tells them good luck and closes the doors. Propped up on his elbows, Ron asks what he was talking about, and Hermione apologizes to him since he can't walk and pulls a gold chain out from under her sweatshirt. She puts it around Harry's neck also and picks up a charm that is hanging off of it. Harry reaches for it and she slaps his hand away. The camera zooms in on the charm, showing an hourglass set in a gold circle. She turns it three times and sets it spinning. The hospital wing around them begins to change, showing people coming and going in sped-up reverse. Harry looks around in awe as Hermione just watches the hourglass spin. When it stops, she takes the chain from around Harry's neck and tucks it back down the front of her shirt. Harry looks around extremely confused and asks what just happened and where's Ron. Hermione just comments on the time, saying it's 7.30 and asking where they were at that point. Harry thinks that they were going to Hagrid's, and Hermione grabs his arm, hurrying him along and saying that they can't be seen. They run through the corridor towards the giant clock, with Harry still having no idea what's going on. The camera focuses on the turning gears and transitions through it, showing an aerial view of the courtyard as the two run through. Harry continues to protest as they run over the covered bridge, asking Hermione to wait and to please tell him what they are doing. They both stop at the end of the covered bridge and peer out just in time to see another Hermione yelling at Draco Malfoy, calling him a foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach. Harry is even more confused, registering that he is looking at themselves, and Hermione shoves him back out of sight, showing him the necklace and explaining to him that it's called a time-turner. McGonagall gave it to her first term, and it's how she has been getting to her lessons all year. Harry realizes that they have gone back in time, and Hermione says that Dumbledore obviously wanted them to go back to this moment, so clearly there is something he wants them to change. They look back out from the bridge again, and watch as past Hermione punches Draco. Harry tells her it was a good punch, and present Hermione thanks him before ushering him out of the way, since Malfoy is coming towards them. They jump through a window-like opening and duck down to stay out of sight as past Harry, Ron, and Hermione discuss Hermione's punch, and then hurry off to Hagrid's. Present Harry and Hermione stand at the edge of one of the large rocks and watch themselves head to Hagrid's hut. Harry notices that Buckbeak is still alive, and Hermione grasps that Dumbledore's words about more than one innocent life being spared also refers to Buckbeak. They run down the stone steps and hide behind the pumpkin pile to look in through Hagrid's window and keep an eye on things. Around the same time, they notice Fudge, Dumbledore, and the Executioner making their own way down the steps, and Harry says they better hurry. Hermione pulls him back, telling him that Fudge has to see Buckbeak before they steal him, so he doesn't think that Hagrid set him free. They look back in Hagrid's window just in time to see Ron realize that Scabbers is alive. Harry acknowledges that to be Pettigrew and motions to go after him. Hermione again stops him and explains that he can't go into Hagrid's hut now, since he is already in Hagrid's hut, telling him that if he just goes bursting in, he'll think he's gone mad. Awful things happen to wizards who meddle with time. They can't be seen. So this section again runs fairly parallel and again has some things left out, some detail changes, and some things added. Which is super shocking. Or isn't shocking at all. What's one of those? If you say the first one sarcastically and the second one seriously, it's both. Well, there, there is that. <laughs> but like I said, parallel but with differences. And it starts out immediately with the movie leaving out details the book had. Because the book chapter begins with a conversation between Snape and the minister about what happened. Whereas Snape and the minister are nowhere near the movie scene. Yeah. <laughs> so in the book, Fudge is telling Snape that it was lucky he was there, and he thinks he'll get an Order of Merlin second class, 
and even says he'll try to wrangle a first class for him. Snape is quite pleased. And the minister comments on the nasty cut that he has, assuming that it was Black's work. Snape explains that it was actually Potter, Weasley, and Granger's, saying that he was sure Black had bewitched them. It was probably the Confundus charm based on their behavior. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Nice job, Carly. Mm-hmm. It also couldn't be included in the movie, at least not with the same details, since it wasn't all three of them who attacked him. It was just Harry. They could have included that as nasty cut you've got there, Black's work, I suppose, with Snape's response being that it was the work of Potter. But it also isn't that important of a detail to the main plot. Yeah, facts. Though I do want to point out that Snape's reaction was surprisingly understanding, despite the fact that three students literally attacked him. Right. Even the way he explained that he was worried that the special treatment Harry was getting was affecting his judgment sounded reasonable. Yeah, because let's be honest, Harry can be a total shit about following the rules. Because he keeps getting away with things. And it really does put himself and his friends in a lot of danger. It's not like Snape's wrong. It's just hard to take it from him because he's such a dick. Giggity? Oh my god, what are you, 12? Sorry, I just couldn't let that slide. <laughs> Giggity. Oh my god, what are you, 12? Okay, so we're both 12. But together we're 24. I'm not sure that's how that works. Because together we're actually 74, and I immediately regret saying that. Yeah, why would you do that? That's bad maths, that is. Let's just keep rolling, please. Okay. Please, keep okay. rolling. Yeah. <laughs> so basically... Snape says that he thinks any other student would be suspended at least, and Fudge agrees that Harry has undoubtedly been foolish, but says they'll see. Which means no. (laughs) Any mom knows that. Right? (laughs) At this point, Harry is starting to wake up and hear the tail end of this conversation. Fudge asks Snape about what made the Dementors retreat, and Snape explains that he has no idea they were just heading back to their positions at the entrances by the time he came round. They do kind of cover this during the movie, but it's later on, so we'll mention that again when we get to that part. Right. But then Snape says he had bound and gagged Black, conjured stretchers, and brought everyone back to the castle. Harry's brain is continuing to wake up, and he opens his eyes to realize that he's in the hospital wing. This is where the movie scene starts right in, too. Except it just completely skips over anything with Snape. There's no explanation as to how they all got up to the castle, though we know since Snape was there and not unconscious, it's safe to assume he was involved. They just don't really bother mentioning it at all. In the book, Harry looks over and sees that Hermione is in a bed next to him and also awake. She presses a finger to her lips and points out the hospital wing door, which is open. Snape and Fudge are in the corridor having the conversation that we were just talking about. In the movie, Harry just wakes up in the hospital and says, I saw my dad. And Hermione just gives a really scared, what? He explains that it was his dad who sent all the Dementors away. And then Hermione completely changes the subject by telling him that the Dementors captured Sirius and any minute they'll be performing the kiss. And Harry thinks that means they're gonna kill him. That isn't how it happened in the book. And it couldn't be, because Book Harry already knew about the Dementors kiss and what that meant, since Lupin previously had told him about it. Yeah, the movie hadn't previously included that explanation. They just have Hermione bring it up now. And I don't know if this is just the best take that they got, but I hate the way the door opening cuts into Hermione saying they're going to suck out Sirius's soul. Like it completely cuts off the word soul and takes away from the entire moment, giving the viewer no chance to comprehend the weight of what Hermione is saying. I agree. It's really fucked up. And it explains what just about happened to Sirius before the mystery Patronus showed up. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It was a pretty significant explanation to just interrupt like that. Mm -hmm. But the book is set up differently. Harry and Hermione are trying to listen into Fudge and Snape's conversation when Madame Pomfrey comes in and realizes that they're awake. She gives them chocolate and lets them know that Ron is okay. And as she's telling them that she's keeping them in the hospital wing until she's satisfied, Harry interrupts her by trying to get up, put his glasses on, grab his wand, and say he needs to go see the headmaster. Madame Pomfrey thinks she's comforting Harry, and she's the one who tells them that Black is locked away and the Dementors will be performing the kiss any minute. So, similar information, just different delivery. Yep. But in the book, Harry already knows what that means, and there's no immediate interruption, so he has plenty of time to freak out about it. He yells, what? And his reaction draws Fudge and Snape into the hospital wing. Harry starts trying to explain to the minister that Sirius is innocent and Peter Pettigrew faked his own death. Fudge just thinks that Harry is confused, and Caps Lock Harry keeps on yelling that he's got the wrong man. Hermione tries to explain things more rationally, and Snape again just says they were confounded, which causes Harry to yell some more and Madame Pomfrey to ask the minister and Snape to leave and to shove chocolate in Harry's mouth to shut him up. Not a choking hazard at all. He does choke, and she <laughs> takes that opportunity to shove him back in bed. I'm telling you, Madame Pomfrey, don't take none of your shit. Also, not a lick of that happened in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> No fudge, no Snape, no Madame Pomfrey, no caps lock Harry, no chocolate choking. Sounds boring. Entirely. Madame Pomfrey again asks the minister to let the children get some rest, but then Dumbledore enters and Harry forces down his chocolate to get up again to plead with Dumbledore this time. This is kind of back in line with the movie since it's Dumbledore who enters the hospital wing and cuts off Hermione mid her explanation of the Dementor's kiss. But... Since everyone else is absent from the scene, it is really quite different. Yeah, Madame Pomfrey tries to insist to Dumbledore that the kids need rest, but Dumbledore apologizes and said he's just been talking to Sirius Black. Snape asks if he's been telling him the same story about a rat and Pettigrew being alive, and when Dumbledore confirms that, Snape asks if his evidence counts for anything. He did not see Pettigrew in the Shrieking Shack or anywhere on the grounds. Hermione tries to point out that he was knocked out, and Snape cuts her off to yell, Hold your tongue! Which is another bit of evidence you were talking about last week, about just how unstable book Snape is that wasn't even shown at all in the movie. Right? Even Fudge is startled by how he spoke to her, telling him that she's disturbed in the mind and they must make allowances for her. <laughs> Dumbledore says that he wishes to speak with Harry and Hermione alone and asks the other three adults to leave. Madame Pomfrey isn't pleased with this, but listens... Fudge says he should go meet the Dementors, and Snape can't leave without questioning Dumbledore about believing Black's story and reminding him that Black showed he was capable of murder at 16. But ultimately, they all leave. Like I said before, in the movie, they were never there. <laughs> it's just Dumbledore who enters the hospital wing, but the scene does have some similarities to the book at this point. And some differences. And some differences, yes. <laughs> In the movie, Hermione and Harry immediately start telling Dumbledore that they have to stop the Dementors because they have the wrong man. It starts out sort of similarly in the book two, with Harry and Hermione both trying to tell Dumbledore that Black's story is the truth. One of the biggest differences in this section is that Ron was never knocked out by Pettigrew in the movie, so he's actually awake and joins in the conversation during this part two, telling Dumbledore that it was Scabbers who did it, and Dumbledore is all like, who the actual fuck is Scabbers? Well, the book establishes that Black already told Dumbledore this whole story. 
Plus, he's Dumbledore, so undoubtedly in the book he would have known who Scabbers was. Sure. The movie does not show how omniscient Dumbledore is portrayed in the books at all, and that makes me mad and sad at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely seems more clueless to what Ron is trying to say. But it does give an opening for some extra comedy as Ron starts rambling about his rat. Side note, I, I am entirely Ron when he's trying to explain who Scabbers is. Yes, you really are. Mm-hmm. God, we are Ron and Hermione trying to do a podcast, aren't we? Mm, yeah, data tracks. I'm not sure how it took me 60 episodes to figure that out, considering that we've been calling me Hermione the entire time, but that's completely our dynamic. It really is. And, just like you when I start rambling, Hermione cuts off Ron to tell Dumbledore that the point is, they know the truth. Dumbledore tells them that he believes them, but the word of 13-year-old wizards will convince few others. This is similar to what he says in the book, though, as usual, the book has a lot more details for this conversation. Also, they're trying to share them with Dumbledore at the same time, so it's a bit of a jumble. Mm -hmm. Dumbledore raises his hand to stop them talking and tells them to listen. He says there isn't a shred of evidence to back up Black's story, except for their word, and the word of two 13-year-old wizards will not convince anybody. He explains that a street full of eyewitnesses swore they saw Black murder Pettigrew, and he himself gave evidence to the ministry that Sirius was the Potter's secret keeper. Which, obviously, you know, couldn't be included in the movie since they omitted the premise of secret keepers. But the gist here is still the same. I believe you, but no one else will, so looks like you're screwed. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Harry also tries to mention that Lupin can tell him, but Dumbledore points out that Lupin won't be able to tell anyone much of anything until it's too late. And even then, the word of a werewolf who's old friends with Sirius won't be trusted either. Unfortunately, Snape's version of events is much more convincing because Black didn't act innocent and without Pettigrew, alive or dead they have no chance of overturning Sirius's sentence. Which is all definitely more detailed than the movie included. Like, why? Why they never tell Dumbledore that Scabbers is actually Peter Pettigrew is beyond me. It drives me crazy. I mean, that seems like it would be the first fucking thing that you would say, not, oh, my pet rat did it. No, my pet rat is a fucking dude. That's what you lead off with. He's a man. A man. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But the look on Dumbledore's face as he walks over to Ron is like, oh shit, it's time for some comedic relief, motherfuckers. And damned if he wasn't right as usual, because Ron's face is just fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is just another example of making Dumbledore way more oblivious than he should be, though. Book Dumbledore would never pat a kid on a fucking injury. Hippie Dumbledore says, A child's voice, however honest and true, is meaningless to those who have forgotten how to listen. And that part's fine. Totally sounds like something Dumbledore would say, but he literally claps his hand down on Ron's bandaged leg like he doesn't even realize he's hurting him. (laughs) Sure, this scene is funny, but it isn't Dumbledore. For real though, Dumbledore is stoned off his ass this entire scene, right? Just the way he looks off into space when he starts talking about time being a mysterious thing... I am convinced Homeboy is high off his gourd. Oh yeah, he gorged himself on gillyweed for his glaucoma and that's got him off his gourd. Oh Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) He's far less cryptic in the book. Harry and Hermione realize that despite the lack of evidence, Dumbledore believes them. But he says he has no power to make other men see the truth or to overrule the ministry. He then looks directly at Hermione and says, What we need 
is more time. Wink, wink. wink. <laughs> In the movie, the clock is chiming and he walks past Harry and Hermione, staring at the door and continues his baked babbling about time being powerful and dangerous. He then tells them that Black is in the topmost cell of the Dark Tower before turning towards them and telling Hermione that she knows the laws. They must not be seen and would do well to return before the last chime. In the book, Sirius is locked in Professor Flitwick's office on the seventh floor. Dumbledore tells them that it's the 13th window from the right of the West Tower. He says that if all goes well, they will be able to save more than one innocent life, but they must not be seen reminding Miss Granger that she knows the laws and what is at stake, reiterating that they must not be seen. Aside from the difference in where Sirius is locked up, this part is pretty similar. In the movie, Dumbledore also says that if they succeed, more than one innocent life will be spared. Yeah, then in both, he tells her that three turns should do it and wishes them luck. Though in the book, he specifies that he's going to lock them in and that it's five minutes to midnight. In the movie, he gives them the advice of retracing their steps, and he doesn't lock the doors, but he does close them. Ron asks what he was talking about, and Hermione doesn't explain, just basically says sorry, he can't go since he can't walk. And then she pulls a chain out from under her sweatshirt. But where in the hell did that giant chain come from? And why would she need a chain that long anyway? We're gonna give you, a 13-year-old, this incredibly restricted piece of magical time travel wizardry shit, and you're not allowed to tell anyone, but we're gonna make sure we give you a chain long enough to go around you and six of your friends. I always figured there was some kind of magic on that chain that caused it to expand or shrink to fit however many people it needed to. And Juliana is listening in on us through Discord right now, and she just said that as well, so she agrees with me. I mean, that could be. It just seems excessively long, and... That's still not a good idea to give to a 13-year-old. Just saying. Not just any 13-year-old, but it's Hermione. Mm, who is friends with Harry and Ron. Touche. Mm -hmm. In the book, Ron is still out cold, so it's Harry that asks what Dumbledore was talking about. Hermione pulls out a long gold chain and beckons him over to throw the chain around his neck, too. So the movie did that fairly accurately. That's true. In both, she turns the hourglass three times. I love how in the movie, Harry tries to touch it and she smacks his hand away. Yeah, that was it's cute. Just, I loved it. <laughs> Honestly, the way the movie did the actual traveling back in time, it looked really accurate to how the book described it. A blur of colors and shapes rushed past him. Yeah, they did a great job with this. Though I do want to say that if you've never watched the time travel scene in slow motion, what have you even done with your life up to this point? Apparently nothing, because I've not done that. Well, you need to. Because the mummy dude doing a little dance once he's unwrapped is amazing. Plus, it also shows Dumbledore and Snape talking either with Ron or near Ron, and Harry talking to some wizard that I can't figure out who it is. Like, he wasn't passed out until he woke up to talk to Hermione. He was up and he was talking prior to that, but whether or not he remembers it is another story, I guess. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they just used footage of the actors getting ready for the scene in reverse to fill in the time travel section. That could be it. But yeah, time travel, time travel, time travel. And then it's basically this. Okay, we're back in time. Where do we go? Wait, what? Look, it's light out like it was earlier because we went back in time. Wait, what? Hey, look, there we are like we were earlier when I laid the smackdown on Malfoy because time travel. LOL, what? Dude, Harry, we do not have time for you to be a dumbass. And that pretty much sums up the book and the movie for this part. Yeah. Though detail-wise, the two are a bit different. 
If I'm reading the book correctly, Harry and Hermione are locked in the hospital wing, but after they time travel, they somehow end up in the entrance hall, and I'm not sure how that's supposed to happen. That could be a good Potter pondering. In the movie, they travel back in time and stay right where they were standing in the hospital, which makes more sense than somehow changing locations. I agree. I just noticed while taking notes for this episode. Hmm. But then Hermione drags Harry into a broom closet to hide while she explains to Harry that they've gone back in time, three hours to be exact. Harry starts to ask a question, but she shushes him as they hear someone walk by and says that she thinks it's them. And then Harry has to wrap his head around the fact that they're in the broom cupboard and out in the entrance hall. Wait, what? Exactly. And Carly just pointed this out to us, but actually earlier on, when they were underneath the cloak and sneaking out of the castle, Harry heard that door close. Oh, yeah. And I hadn't picked up on that before, so thanks for sharing that, Carly. Well done, Carly. (laughs) In the movie, Harry looks around the hospital wing and wonders where Ron is. Hermione just ignores the question and tells him that it's 7.30, asking where they were at 7.30. Harry thinks they were heading to Hagrid's, and Hermione grabs his arm and hurries him out of the hospital wing, reminding him that they can't be seen. There is far less running at this point in the book, but the information that we are given is pretty similar. Harry asks Hermione where she got that hourglass thing, and she explains that it's a time-turner. McGonagall gave it to her on their first day back, and it's how she's been getting to all of her lessons. McGonagall made her swear she wouldn't tell anybody, and she had to write all sorts of letters to the ministry explaining that Hermione was a model student and she would never use it for anything except her studies. She's been using it to turn back time and do several lessons over at once, and clearly would never use it for anything but her studies. Never. Never. Not Hermione, and certainly not her best friends, who don't meddle at all. Especially when Dumbledore gets involved. Right. (laughs) In the movie, they run out the castle, through the courtyard, and across the covered bridge, where they stop when they catch up with themselves just in time to see past Hermione confront Malfoy for being a Nazi von douchebag. This is when it clicks for Harry that he's seeing themselves, and Hermione shoves him back out of sight and explains that the hourglass is a time-turner. We don't get the same detail of information, just the part about McGonagall giving it to her first term, and it's how she's been getting to her lessons all year. In both, she acknowledges that Dumbledore told them to specifically go back to this time, so there must be something that he wants them to change, but she's not sure what. Harry tries to figure out what happened three hours ago, remembering that they were walking down to Hagrid's hut. Hermione tells him that it is three hours ago, and they are walking down to Hagrid's hut. Despite Harry's mind being blown, he's still able to connect the dots and realize that they're supposed to save Buckbeak. The movie doesn't give Harry that amount of deductive reasoning. Like, ever. But especially not in this case. (laughs) It also feels the need to fully reenact Hermione punching Malfoy and takes some extra time to have present Harry congratulate present Hermione on the punch that they watched past Hermione give Malfoy. Which doesn't happen in the book, as it wasn't a punch, it was a slap, and it happened in a different point in the story and did not end up on the time travel timeline after they went back. Yeah, also in the movie, because Malfoy and his goons run off right towards present Harry and Hermione, they have to hide to avoid being seen. Which is definitely parallel to the book, even if the details are different. I mean, they were hiding in a broom cupboard at this point. Yeah, But then they watch as their past selves head down to Hagrid's hut, and Harry is all like, Holy balls! Horsey Bird is still alive! It's as if we went back in time or something! And Hermione is just like, (laughs) O-M-F-G. 
And we have another Grand Theft Audio Hermione moment, as she makes the connection that Dumbledore's words about saving more than one innocent life also refers to Buckbeak. Poor movie Harry, he doesn't get to be smart. Aww, poor boy. In the book, Hermione even asks him how saving Buckbeak will help Sirius, and he's able to answer that question too, explaining that Dumbledore specifically told them which window leads to the room they could find Sirius locked up in, and they're going to fly Buckbeak to him to rescue him so the two can escape together. Also, this moment is completely like, we can't be seen by our past selves, so let's just stand right out in the open and have a conversation at normal volume. Yeah, super subtle. The movie doesn't give any of that extra detail either, though it is ultimately what will end up happening. They just don't take the time to spell out the plan at this point in the story. Yeah, I think the book was more setting up the challenge that they had before them, because Hermione's response is that if they manage that without being seen, it will be a miracle. And Harry's response is that, well, we have to try. The movie just has them follow after themselves and hide at the edge of the forest behind the giant-ass pumpkin pile that we aren't really sure why is there in June. Other than the fact that it really did make for convenient hiding places for past Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and present Harry and Hermione at various points. At this point, it sounds like the entrance hall is empty, so they exit the cupboard and run out the castle, straight to the forest in hopes of avoiding being seen. Hermione suggests they should go round by the greenhouses to keep out of sight of Hagrid's door, saying, or we'll see us. We must be nearly at Hagrid's by now. This is not getting confusing at all. Yeah, Harry is also still in, wait, what mode? <laughs> As they run across the grounds and take shelter in the forest, sneaking their way towards Hagrid's hut to see what's going on. They get close enough, just in time to see Hagrid open his door and for present Harry to hear his own voice tell him that they're wearing the invisibility cloak. He tells present Hermione that this is the weirdest thing they have ever done. At this point in the movie, they are watching themselves talk to Hagrid and see Fudge, Dumbledore, and the Executioner coming down the stone steps towards Hagrid's hut. Harry goes to get Buckbeak, but Hermione stops him, saying that Fudge has to see Buckbeak before they steal him. This is similar to the book where they move through the trees to get closer to Buckbeak, who is tethered in the pumpkin patch. I mean, they do keep saying pumpkin patch, but that doesn't mean that there's piles of giant-ass pumpkins. I'm still stuck on that. They're tactical pumpkins. I guess. What else would they have hidden behind? <laughs> right? <laughs> but Harry asks now, and Hermione tells him that the committee will think Hagrid set them free if they steal him now. She says they have to wait until they see he's tied up outside, and Harry says that will give them about 60 seconds. They then hear a crash inside Hagrid's cabin, and Hermione says that she's about to find Scabbers. This is basically what is happening in the movie, too. Except, as we know, it's Hagrid who tells Ron he found Scabbers. In both, Harry remembers that Scabbers is Pettigrew. Pettigrew is Scabbers! And is all about running in and grabbing him right then and there. Yeah, Hermione has to point out, again, that they can't be seen, and asks him what he'd think if he saw himself bursting into Hagrid's house. Harry realizes that he'd think he'd gone mad, or that there was some kind of dark magic going on. In the movie, Hermione just answers her own question, telling Harry that he would think he'd gone mad. You know, considering that they already have experience with Polyjuice Potion, I wonder why it doesn't occur to them that they could be encountering people who just Polyjuice themselves to look like Harry and Hermione. Ooh. Mindfuck. Right? We're going to add that to Potter Ponderings. We are. I mean, how does anybody know? That's one of the mysteries of Polyjuice, Because if that's what happens with time travel, do you accidentally kill the person that Polyjuice themselves to look like you if you encounter them? Mindfuck. 
Like, it's creepy. We're going to see what our keepers think about that. Yeah. Also in both, Hermione mentions that awful things happen to wizards who meddle with time. In the book saying that some of them end up killing their past or future selves by mistake. This is where we're going to end part one for the book and movie section. So this will bring us to our Potter pondering. Which we got two now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one is, so Harry and Hermione are locked in the hospital wing, but after they time travel, they somehow end up in the entrance hall. And I'm not sure how that was supposed to happen. Discuss. And then the other one is, what happens when you encounter somebody who has used Polyjuice Potion to become you? Is it like running into yourselves when you've time traveled? I just wanted like... That's what I give you. Mind blown. Polyjuice potion versus time travel encountering yourself. Go. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Find the post on our Facebook page and let us know what you think. We really look forward to reading them. Right? (laughs) Blow our minds back. Right? Whoa. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Tori Andrus. She writes, I started reading Harry Potter in 2010 when I was eight years old. My house is Gryffindor, my wand is Hazelwood with a phoenix feather core, 11 and a quarter inches long. My Patronus is a phoenix. I first got into Harry Potter because of one of my teachers who I was really close with. She is obsessed with anything Harry Potter and knew how much I loved to read, so she said it would be a great series for me. I took her advice and read the first book. I immediately fell in love with them and continued to read them until I finished them all. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us. I love it when teachers, mm-hmm. being a teacher, and we got Juliana and Carly listening in with us right now through Discord, and they are both teachers, so I know they feel the same way. Yeah. That when a teacher gets you into this fucking awesome book series, it's the best. And it's just nice to know that teachers can have that effect. Oh, yeah. You know, something that the teacher suggested it, so now she's obsessed with it, too. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's great. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Tori. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. You can also just message us on social media. And this will bring us to our trivia question, which is, who does Harry and Hermione see going to fetch the Dementors right before they go to rescue Sirius? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and a code word, hashtag snitches get stitches, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. In addition to getting you some extra perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, patron-only Facebook groups, virtual meetups, bonus content, and more like getting to listen in to us as we record and seeing mm-hmm. how much of a shit show this actually is before I edit it. Right. And seeing how much work you really, really do. Right. Which is one of the perks. Your patronage also helps us to continue producing this podcast, our cooking show, and bring more content your way. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, monthly blooper reels, vlogs, and other random videos. 
And join us next week when we talk about part two of chapter 21, Hermione's secret and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.